John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 to 3. Jesus said, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have uh, spoken to you. So this morning, uh, my subject is, I am the true vine. And, uh, uh, t- but to look at that, I have to admit, I struggled a little bit with it because I thought, well, what I can do is just preach on this one subject. There's enough there. I am the true vine. Uh, but found out that to be able to do that, we need to put it into context. Uh, and the context is the verses that we've just read. Uh, what we're looking at is an allegory or a metaphor about a vine and uh, this morning what we'll do is the, we'll look at the, the various features in that allegory. So uh, we're looking at a vine, its branches, and the one who cares for it, the vine uh, dresser. And uh, so uh, we have two types of uh, branches uh, in the passage, the branches that uh, bear fruit and the branches that do not bear fruit. But I want to just set the scene for you. Uh, this is the night before Jesus' death. And Jesus is with uh, his disciples. Now, you would imagine at the night before Jesus' uh, death that there is intense drama and emotion going on in that room that night. It is aggravated by all sorts of situations which we'll look at It's aggravated by the 11 men that are sitting there with him. He's aware of those 11 men, that he would be leaving these 11 men on earth. And actually, if you look at it, he spent the whole of the 14th chapter trying to explain and comfort them in regard to what is going on, but they have not understood yet what is going on. Can you imagine that? You're trying to explain to somebody that we're going to eat fish and chips, but they don't understand. It just just doesn't seem to get through. So Jesus is agonizing at this. He's aware of his father because he knew that he, once he got to that point of the cross, would be isolated and separated from his father And he'd never gone through that experience before. He knew that it was coming. You know, sometimes one or two of us have to face some things tomorrow. We think, oh, that's a bit horrible. I've got to face this. Jesus is having to face things and emotions and an experience that he's never had to face before. He had just dismissed Judas from that small group and and said to him, you must go and do what you must go and do. And Judas had left. Can you imagine the emotion in the room, all talking about Judas? And Jesus had just said these sort of things to him. Uh, And Jesus knows that the man that has just left the room, that all these guys are talking about, is now, as he's with them, plotting his betrayal. 
So this is not, you know, would you like to pop round for a coffee type of evening, is it? And I believe that Jesus is, uh, in this scripture that we're going to look at, is bringing, all, bringing to focus all the people of that night's drama. So when we get to the 15th chapter, the key of the chapter is to determine what he's referring to here. So he stands and he says, I'm the vine. We can get that. That's Jesus. He explains to us that the father is the vine dresser. We can, we can get that. And then he explains that there were, would be branches that would bear fruit. That's the 11 disciples. And those that would go on and follow the 11th disciples. And then he says, but there are branches that will not bear fruit. And those are the Judas branches that were never real to begin with. The 11 uh, were with him. Uh, Judas was with him. They were with him for the same amount of time. And apparently everything looked all right. In fact, Judas was highly honoured by being given the responsibility of the money, the purse. But Judas, although apparently was in the vine, was a branch that was never bearing fruit. And finally, God removed him. And if you read later, it says that he was that is uh, burnt, and Judas was burnt and is in hell for the consequences of his act. The branches that bear fruit are obviously Christians, and the branches that do not bear fruit are then the problem branches. What are they? Are the branches who do not bear fruit Christians, or are they non-Christians? The problem then becomes the branches that do not bear fruit are thrown into the fire and burned, as we've just said. If they're Christians, then what on earth does that mean? That Christians can actually perish? Or does it mean that Christians can be punished and are punished because they don't bear any fruit? Does it mean that you can lose your salvation if you don't bear fruit? Or does it mean that God will punish you if you don't bear fruit? And you see the mess that I got in when I opened this and thinking, this will be all right to preach on. So what I'm going to do, actually, the truth is with this, with this, is that I, I looked at it and I thought, you know, I, I'd like a real encouragement in this, but you know, when you come to chopping off branches and that sort of, it ain't so good, you know. So this is this, uh, I'm, I haven't got as many sort of funnies in this one, okay, that I normally have, because there ain't any funnies there. But let's just put this into context. They put this the whole. Uh, some people actually say that Judas lost his salvation. And then if you don't bear fruit, you lose your salvation. That's what is often said. It's a theological point, it's an emotional point. But what has to say, what does the Bible say about that? Let me give you two verses to answer that clearly so that we know. John ten twenty eight, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No man shall snatch them from my hand. 
Okay? We're going to have to put that into context in a minute, but we'll stay. John 6, verse 6. Jesus said, All the Father gives to me shall come to me. And then he said, And what the Father has given to me, I have lost none of them. They've been placed into Jesus' hand, and it is impossible to prize his hand open. So what we realise is that he cannot be talking about a true Christian who stops bearing fruit and loses his salvation. But rather what we're looking at here is a Judas branch who apparently is in the vine, who from the standpoint of superficial connection belongs, but never was real in the first place. There never was a vine sap pumping through their body as it were. And there was never any fruit bearing. Judas had a superficial relationship with Jesus, but nevertheless, he had a relationship. And we know it was superficial because he he chose to leave it. He willingly walked away from it, from that relationship. And even today... This stands as a problem for us. In fact, these are problem verses for us. Because there are those that will stand what apparently seems to be in in close connection to Jesus, who might even attend church, who might go through what is religious motions, who may have in their own minds some sort of connection with Jesus. But according to Scripture, That is not enough. It's not legitimate. The evidence is that they just do not bear any fruit. They are the same. They were, and the reason that they are the same is that they were never saved in the first place. It's a challenge, isn't it? Am I still the same? (gasps) You know, that sort of stuff. But I just want to put this in regard to context and church and just say this. This is why we should resist outward conformity. Because outward conformity makes this so difficult to see. Because you can don your suit and your tie and you can go to church and you can go through things like that and you can do it for years and still not be saved. It is a tragedy that actually the church manufactures. So please, if in us, in me, there is any form of outward conformity, fight it. Don't do it. (laughs) Get into heart's relationship with Jesus. Love him. Stuff what anybody else said. You know, you shouldn't wear that or whatever. No, love him. Well, you need to do this and do... If you do that at three o'clock, resist it with all your heart. Make the difference clear. So let's look at the allegory then. Uh, Jesus says to the eleven, I am the true vine... It's interesting that he chooses the figure of the vine. He does it for several reasons. He describes his humility. 
He's a, he's a vine planted into the ground. And Jesus came as this vine planted on, into this mucky earth that we live in. Here's this perfect person, sinless person, planted into mucky earth. Sinful earth. The vine planted. And certainly we can see that. And I believe that the figure also shows the form of a vine's uh, union. Uh, the vine and the branches are, are connected. There's nothing more intimate than that. Here's the vine. Here's the branch. They are connected to him. And that's the image that we should uh, hold in our heart. We're connected with Jesus. That's it. That's the wonderful thing about it. It's about him and who we're connected to. Totally dependent are those branches upon him. That's how it is. The, the life pumps through from the vine into the branches. Then the branches live. It's not about me. It's not about the life that I have. It's the life that he has pumping through me. I believe it's a classic illustration for showing fruit bearing, how we should bear fruit itself. It's true. You don't see a random branch, do you, bearing fruit. You drive down the road, you see a random branch. It's dead. It shows us that if we're to bear fruit, we have to be connected to him. So where does all this come from? and What's the background to all this? The background is this, is that Israel was God's vine in the Old Testament. Through Israel, uh, God operated. God was the vine dresser still. He cared for Israel. He pruned Israel. He worked with Israel. He cut off all, all Israel's branches that weren't bearing a fruit. He cast them aside. And blessing came by being attached to God's covenant people. Of course, there was faith in that. We, I'll just say that obviously. But, uh, and that's what brought salvation. Uh, you were uh, just being, you, if you were born a Jew, uh, you, you were brought into, into the vine, as it were. And that brought you blessing. So God's vine uh, is this, this nation of Israel. But Israel, as usual, mucks things up, gets things wrong, blows it, makes a, a hash of it. And has to appeal um, to be restored. We were supposed to be this glorious vine. We were supposed to be bearing fruit. But actually, we've just got a little prune hanging off the, the branch here. It's that sort of thing. And uh, it's interesting that Ezekiel says, you have become an empty vine. You're supposed to bear fruit. You don't know. Oh, yeah, that was the reason. Supposed to bear fruit. And it's interesting, I don't know whether we like that in ourselves. Look, Israel was, was born to bear fruit. We are born into this, to bear fruit. We are fruit-bearing people. We're not just, just a bit of twig stuck on the end here. No, we're designed to bear fruit. And Israel didn't bear fruit. So the prophets had to come and, and say, come on, this is what you were made for. You were made to bear fruit. Jeremiah and Isaiah and Ezekiel said, you've become a degenerate vine. Oh. And suddenly the psalmist begins to one day just be worshipping the Lord and pens a song. 
and starts to sing about there will be a new vine. Now, can you imagine that being sung in the context of Israel? Because Israel is saying, hey, we're the vine. Yeah, we've mucked it up, but we're the vine. You know, sorry, we're the, we're, we're, we're the, we, we are is, is, we're God's vine. It is extraordinary. We, we're it. And suddenly the psalmist comes and says, I've just got a new song. There'll be another one. Well, it's like, well, do you mind not singing that in our worship songs? Keep that one to yourself just a little bit. Perhaps you've heard wrong from the Lord. It would have been a shocking introduction to Israel. And the psalmist says, and this new vine will be the son of man. Mm. Be the son of man. It's not this nation any longer. It's the son of man. Do you mind keeping your thoughts to yourself? And suddenly, with all that in the background and all the history that Israel knows, Jesus talks to these 11 people and says, you can imagine their minds would at this point explode. He said, and I am that true vine. And they and all that history would have gone, their heads would have gone balmy. Literally. It would have been stuff. You know, they would have just, they couldn't have really contained it. And he's saying, look, you know, formerly God's life was poured out through Israel. The blessing was connected with Israel. Israel forfeited its right to be the vine. You can read that in Isaiah 5, 1 to 5. And Jesus says, now, now, I'm the true vine. And they're just stuck in a wonder moment. Why is this? You're the true vine? You're it? My goodness. What do we do now? And the word true is very interesting because it carries uh, several meanings uh, in, in the Greek. And I'll try and explain it being not a great Greek philosopher and all that sort of stuff. But it means true in the sense of eternal or heavenly or divine. I'm the eternal vine. They were an earthly one. I'm the eternal one. And Jesus is the reality of the vine. He's the true one. He's the perfect one uh, as compared with the imperfect one. He's the perfect, I am the vine, I'm the perfect one. They were the imperfect one. He's he's real as in distinct to a type. Israel was actually a type of God's blessing. And Jesus is saying this, now I will be the reality of blessing. If you like, you know, you thought you had blessing, but this is the real stuff. I am the real stuff. And Israel was always always an imperfect vine and but in itself what it didn't realize was that if if it had got its act together it was in itself talking to the nations of the world and pointing to the one day the true vine will come hey it should have been saying hey look we are the vine we're god's vine but one day and it never did that Israel was always there to point to a better vine. 
I am the true vine. Just to lay a little bit of emphasis on the fact that Jesus is the true vine, he's saying, I am at the end of it. I'm it. I'm the one. I'm it. I, I remember Muhammad Ali boxing. Do you remember him? Remember him? And I was allowed to watch it with my dad. I, and, you know, that's the stuff. We used to sit and watch those, you know, things together. Box. I don't know why men like a bit of boxing, but I liked a bit of boxing, that sort of stuff. And he used to come in and he used to, he's, he, I don't know whether you remember this, before, and he was Cassius Clay before that, and he used to, you know, he used to proclaim, and he, he was the greatest. Unashamedly, he was the greatest. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Look, I, I am it. I am it. And I don't want to be very analytical and try and determine this. But do you know, sometimes we, we, sort of, um, we, we sort of try and get our resources and our life and our energy from so many other places by, by him. Our life, our excitement comes from just so many things. And they, they're like vines, really. On us. You know, if you think, oh, no, you know, Jesus can't do this for me, so if I have a little bit of that, that will happen, you know, and that sort of thing. I just wrote some things down that some people, uh, I mean, I don't know, I, don't, I'm not, I didn't look at the church and say, hey, look, you know, uh, there's, there's a vine growing there, and there's a vine growing there. Just watch your car, Steve, might become a vine. No, I didn't look at that. <laughs> Never mentioned it, even when I saw it on Thursday. But this is what's interesting, is that, is that some people think that their vine is their bank account. If I've got money, I'm going to, you know, it's my resource. Other people think that their vine is their education. That's not me. <laughs> I'm all right with that one. <laughs> you know, just a bit thick, okay? I'm all right. I'm okay. But it doesn't, it, you know. You know, I must be, you know, this is it. This is, this is, this is what makes me pump. Other people think that their vine, I, I know you shouldn't say this in church, is sex. Yeah, let's say it in church. Other people think that it, it's sex. And they, they, they live for it. Other people think that their vine is popular. If I can be popular, I'll be, it'll give me life. It might be fame or, or personal skill or, or the connections that I have. My brother was in the lift once with the Queen Mother. Life, energy, pumping into me just because... <laughs> what is that? It's, it's true. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, we know, possessions. You know, if, you know, if I could just get this and, you know, live here and make that, then, then life will be always all right, you know. It's, it's interesting because, you know, we, when we first got married, we, we had a two-bedroom house. It was the end of terrace. There were, there, there were eight in the block. We were the end. So we actually, in regard to the terrace, the ones in the middle, we had the superior house because we were on the end. Which meant we got a driveway on the side like this. And it's just interesting. That we, we'd never been on the mortgage and buy, buy a house thing before. So we, you know, and we were poor and you know, so we, we just managed to get, get a little two-bedroom house and all that sort of stuff. You, know, you came in the door and you had to go that way or upstairs. It was, it was just like a through-room, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny thing. Uh, um, when you've got a two-bedroom house, what do you long for? Three. <laughs> Isn't it? You just, what do you want? It's three. The, it's, it's interesting. And what happens and, uh, oh, <laughs> what happens is that when you've got three, you think, what you need is four. Now, 
I just want to, I just want to say, so this, is what, this is what happens in your mind. Our next door neighbours have had a, a, a garage conversion. They're having twins. Lovely for them that they're going to have twins. What I've said is that this, they said, this is nothing to do with the sermon. I'll go for it. Phil's folded his arms now. Get back onto the real story. <laughs> and he said, and he, what, he, what they said to us, they came round and they said, look, you know, we, we're having this, we're having twins. And we thought, we needed to divide the house into two. So there's our sort, like this, and then where the babies are. So it's like the babies don't invade the dining room and whatever. So they're having the garage converted. So we, they said, well, so that sort of stuff. And then it got us thinking. We thought, hey, garage conversion. <laughs> so, so, you know, and I don't know what happens, but you do get drawn by these things. They sort of reel you in, don't they? So what happens is that we started to discuss this. We didn't pray about it. We just discussed it. <laughs> so we started saying, now where would we put the door? You know, how would that work? And, you know, you know can you walk, walk through it and all that? And in the end... I, I, I felt that I was now going to say this. It's a, I, kept saying, I said to Kelly, actually, we don't need to do this, do we? <laughs> and Kelly went, no. But, so we just, but it is interesting that the world's thinking draws us constantly into this. And we get drawn subconsciously and even consciously into thinking, you know, my life will be better if I have a garage conversion. If I do this, kill me, because it is just so simple. I don't need one. There's two of us. We have three bathrooms. We only ever use one. We, we, we book a holiday to go and see the other two. Let's, what are we going to do today? It's our day off. Let's go and visit the other two toilets. This is, we don't need them. Why have we got three toilets? I mean, we, even at the worst time, you know, that sort of... So we only need two. Why do I need a third one? Possessions, people, relationship, pensions. Pensions. My life will come when my pension comes in. For some of you, your vine has been your church leaders and your pastors. That you've lived, really... Not of the life of Jesus, but of the life of somebody else. Or even people in your family. The vine is only Jesus. The vine actually is not the church. You must grow out of Jesus as a natural branch, drawing your resource from him. He's the sustenance for your living He's everything that you, you need. He's able to provide for you. He's able to give you every emotional, intellectual, psychological, physical thing that you need. You cannot find eternal sustenance in anyone else apart from him. And actually, I've realized that I don't want to get attached to a garage conversion. I want to be more attached to him. So uh, we, let's move on. The vine dresser, he's emphasizing the care of the father towards the son and towards those uh, who are in the son. We have the word the vine dresser, it's the husbandman. Remember that from Ruth? 
Here he comes again. Do you remember the husbandman, Ruth and Boaz, the husbandman? Here it is again into the New Testament. We have the word vine dresser husbandman. Now, I know absolutely nothing about farming, apart from that my dad once told me that he wanted to be a pig farmer. I'm really glad that he didn't do that because he would have stunk. But, I mean, he did. He was a, Dad, what did you want to do? And he went, well, I wanted to be a pig farmer. So I know nothing about farming, apart from what Richard Smith, if you're listening to this, Richard, from Rugeley, has told me, or Hedley Cornwall from Barkham has told me. So I've named names now. That's where I get all my information from. Uh, but a vine dresser really has two specific duties. Apart from the preparation of the ground and the planting of the vine, uh, his responsible is to cut off the branches that bear no fruit because they sap the energy from the fruit-bearing branches and need to be removed. Uh, and uh, the other one, of course, is that they, uh, they need to, that the vine dresser constantly prunes the branches that don't bear fruit, cutting off the little shoots and the big shoots and the things that would also sap energy. So now we're going to get into it a little bit. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. Here's the first thing the father does. He takes that away. He does it. It's interesting that often I get blamed for those things, but actually the father does it. He takes it away. The father removes the branch that does not bear fruit. Do you hear that? Sovereignty of God. He removes it. Doesn't say he fixes it up. It says that he cuts it off. In verse 6 it says, He's thrown, It's thrown away like a branch. It withers and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire. Now going back, if this refers to Christian, we've got problems. I believe what happens here is every person who uh, professes a relationship to Jesus Christ, who apparently uh, is in the vine, who is apparently a follower, a Judas type, but has never been saved. And it's obvious that he's never been saved because he doesn't bear fruit. That's the dead giveaway. He's cut off at a certain point by the Father for the sake of the vine. And, the other bro- and then he's cast aside. That's the first duty of the Father. And so-called Christians who aren't really saved, it's obvious because they never bear fruit. They're thrown away. The second work of the Father is in verse 2. Uh, if you notice, it says, and every branch that bears fruit, he comes to his second work. He will prune. He will prune. We're going to come to that at the end. Have a look at a bit of pruning. Is that all right, Silas? Okay. So remind me of that one. The Christian is in view here. It's, it's obvious that it's everybody. Every branch that bears fruit has to be the true believer. Now, notice that it's interesting that the Father has come to do work on Christians also, and it's not the final work. It's a continual work. He's going to continue to prune. The word means purge or clean. He's going to do that. It's going to be part of being a Christian. We are going to be pruned. Apparently, I didn't know this, but the, the branches on vines grow very rapidly, and they must be tended carefully. Uh, so pruning can be quite drast- drastic. And a careful uh, vine dresser who is going to have a, a fruitful vine must be careful to prune correctly 
what needs to be done so that the vine can grow in strength. Now when a vine was planted, and it still may be true, if it was true in those days, when a vine was planted, it was planted uh, and for three years it was never allowed to bear any fruit. Never. Some interesting analogies here, isn't it? Never allowed to bear any fruit. It was pruned back each year quite drastically so that by the time the fourth year it would burst with fruit. It was uh, uh, then full and rich and, and loaded to capacity, but it had been cut back and done. So it is an interesting sort of analogy. We'll come back to some of that. Branches taken away or pruned. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. I believe this can't be a Christian for several reasons. Number one, it can't be a Christian because there has to be some sort of fruit in our Christian lives. Some Christians, you have to have got to look, you've got to look a long way to find it, but it's there if you look you'll find the odd lingering grape, if they're a Christian. You'll find it somewhere. And the essence of Christianity is bearing fruit. Saving faith is productive. That's the point. Saving faith is productive. So that we must look at salvation, not works. Which is what we do. We govern people by works. Don't look at works. Always look at saving faith. Matthew 6, verse six, 7, verse 16. You will know them by their what? Fruit. You will know them by their fruit. There can't be a believer that has no fruit because you know them by their fruits. It might be a withered old grape, but it's there. There are some fruits that if you find it. Matthew 12, verse 33. Uh, either make the, the, the tree good and its fruit good or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. The, tr- the tree is known by its fruit. Back to John 15, 2, every branch. What do the next words say? In me. Do you know that bothered me? Because I thought, well, I've got to this far and I'm thinking, well, these are not Christians. But then I looked at it again. I want to just give you a couple of illustrations because what does that mean? People can seem in. In. People can seem as if they're really in. In Romans chapter 9, verses 6 to 8, you don't have to look look at it. It says, Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. You can be in Israel, but not the real thing. You can apparently be in. You look in. Luke 8, verse 18. Take care of them, how they hear. For the one who has more will be given, and the one who... Sorry, the the more... So let's start again. Take care then, how you hear. For the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Even what he thinks he has will be taken away. It's an appearance. It's an appearance. We're backed again. And that's why this message almost is an, a serious message. Why well, I said, I, I don't have that many funnies to throw in. Because an in, individual can apparently be connected to Jesus Christ, but in fact actually be not connected at all. And Paul actually warns us about this and says... 
you know, that if you are religious or if you come to church or if you have superficial allegiance, listen hard. 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves or do not realize... uh, or do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail to meet the test? In other words, we better check that our salvation is rock solid, that it's real. And it is a stern warning because we can be attracted so much by outwardly things. It's a hard thing to him. We're drawn by, by outwardly living something. It isn't. It's about what he has done. It's about a relationship with him. So Jesus is talking about two kinds of branches. He's talking about the branches that are true disciples. He's talking about Judas branches. The ones that hang around him are the ones that that can make a facade of faith and the other ones are the real ones. So let's look at the the real ones then. Let's try and put this in because it's all been a bit complicated. Pruning. Ouch, that hurts. Yep, that's right. Let me just say this to you right at the very beginning. We bear fruit. But to bear fruit, we prune. We are pruned, everyone. Everyone is pruned and it hurts. Okay? Let's get this into our mind. If we are to bear much fruit, we are to go through much pain. That's a great message, isn't it? Encourage. This is what the Bible says. What we want is that we want easy blessing. I want you to bless me so for the rest of my life so that I can enjoy my life. God says this, you will bear the best fruits by being pruned the most. And pruning hurts. Let me prove this to you. Let's look at the fruit bearing branches. Every branch in me, uh, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear forth much fruit. Now, that's not, that's not just David Simpkins. That's everyone. If you want to bear fruit in this room, you are going to go, and I, through a pruning process. Everyone. You say, don't you? I say, I want to bear so much fruit for you, Lord. I'm going to be pruned. We know that because the Bible says things like everyone whom the Lord loves, he what? Disciplines. Everyone that the Lord loves, he disciplines. Discipline's not easy. My dad had a hard hand. You know, every branch gets pruned in order that it would have more fruit. Maybe we should look at our problems in this way. Or like that. Maybe you could just say, Lord, this is a fantastic problem that you've given me in my life. I love this burden. I'm thrilled that you should hurt me in this particular way. Because when it's over, I'm going to have bundles of grapes on me. Perhaps you should begin to pray, Lord, I want to be so fruitful for me. Perhaps you should pray, Lord, give me trouble. And give it me in abundance. Yeah? I haven't got to that one yet, but feel free to pray. 
But you don't see that, don't you? You don't see, we're just going to worship the Lord this morning. You know, Dave Sifkin's brought a prophecy. Maureen brought an expressive dance. And Kelly prayed up and said, Hit me, Lord, with all that you've got. <laughs> you don't actually see it, do you? Please don't tempt fate. No, don't do that. Is that the right word? Should I say it? But actually, we don't value things. We actually say, this problem is obscuring me from Jesus. And actually, Jesus is saying, this problem is so that you might know me better. That's the point. And often we say, if I can remove this problem, I can see you. No, you don't remove the problem. The problem is so that you can know him better. And understanding better. That's the idea. And by the way, when you've understood that one, there will be another one. What did Jesus say? In this world, you will have trouble. Why did he say that? Because he wanted you to be, reflect him and all his glory. I can't, in this world, you will have blessing. It will be wonderful. We will skip through life enjoying things. No, what happens in this life is that your 48-year-old mom dies. That's what happens. Okay, now, what am I going to do about it? That's what happens. That's exactly what happens. Let me try and explain to you pruning. This is not original, because I'm, you know, my dad wanted to be a pig farmer, so this is a... When you prune a branch, you prune it in many ways. There was a process. This is actually as it would have been then. When you prune it, there's a process called pinching, by which the individual would take the thumb and the finger and remove just the the growing tip, sort of like the end of the unwanted shoot. Pinch it. I don't know if you've ever thought that. That's just something that's beginning to grow. Hey, look, this is beginning to grow in my life. And the Lord goes, no. And you think, hold on. It was just beginning to shop. Hey, I'm not doing that any longer. Glorifying the Lord. and And I know pinching hurts, doesn't it? You know, if you want to get Rupert, you just, you know, that's what you give him. You know, if he's rabbiting on too much, you just pinch him and sharp, sharp. And he, and he goes, oh, what did you do that for? And you say, it's just the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's great, but it is, it is. You just remove the end so that it wouldn't grow so rapidly. Then another one was topping. Now, you imagine this. You've just... You know, you've managed to get past the pinching stage and you've developed a little bit of shoot and the shoot has got up to about two feet. I have a two-foot ministry in the church. Hey, look, two-foot ministry. Comes up like that. The vine dresser comes and goes, <coughs> so that's gone. They remove two or three feet. It seems rather large. Sometimes things seem rather large. I'm doing this, it's gone. Why is that? It's so this is not about us, it's about him. 
It's so that so that the life doesn't become what we're doing. It becomes about him. There's another one called thinning. And this would be removing the flower or the, or the grape clusters. Can you imagine that? Imagine this vine. This vine has loads of grapes on it. It looks wonderful. Hey, look, fruitful vine. And what the vine dresser comes on, he, he said, no, we're just going to pick those fruits off and we're just going to chuck them away. Hold on, it's taken me years. No, I've just grown to this little bit. I didn't get topped. I managed to get a two-foot branch. Hey, my two-foot branch ministry. Now my two-foot branch ministry is growing fruits. Look at what's happening to my ministry. Hey, I got, what have we got? We've got a website. I've got an international ministry. Here it is. Look, look at my bunches. And the Lord goes, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> gone. And you think, and you hear, and you see, you see this because what happens is, what happens is you say, and you find this is we find people that have huge ministries, and the next day, where have they gone? They're not in church any longer. Just gone, completely. Hey, the Lord took the fruit, and He did it. The Lord's looking for people to say, okay, you can have my fruit. I'll just worship you. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. Go and be a doorkeeper. Hey, look, Lord, I wanted the fruit. I wanted the... I have to admit to something yesterday. And I have to... I don't, we sinned yesterday. Because I, I sinned. I, I led my wife into sin. We went clubbing. No, we didn't. <laughs> yesterday, I was told that I went up to a meeting, a conference, 2,100 people, and I was told that I would be acknowledged well, uh, by several people. So there I was. We were sat second row. 2,100 people. And the point came to be acknowledged. So I secretly combed my hair, did a little... This is the point. And in a minute, you know, the people, they're on the stage. Okay, they were really ratbags. They forgot. And suddenly, but what happened is that I was ready for my moment of recognition amongst 2,000 something people. What happened? Nothing. <laughs> they never said anything. I'll tell you what, when, when you get like that, you can do 80 easy. Down the motorway, you know. Past Steve in his little beat-up thing. Gone! Steve Hawkins. It's, it's the little Citroen. You know, going past. It's true. And, I thought, and all I wanted, I wanted to say, what about my fruit? And, and the Lord said, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> So I got no fruit. I got no recognition. But I learned one lesson. It isn't about me. It's about him. And do you know what? I'll probably have to learn that again. This time be 5,000. And if I don't get it right, be 10,000. And I'll learn nothing. The last process is that they're clipped, of course. So what is all this leading to? Dear... Spiritual pruning. The Father will do it to us all. 
It's the process of removing the things that hinder us. They hinder us. Actually, my attitude hindered. Do you see that? The Father wants me, wants you to operate on a maximum fruit-bearing capacity. And to do that, he's going to have to whack off some things periodically. I want to ask you, when the Father prunes, do you resist him? (laughs) Do you resist him or do you allow him to do that? And sometimes we wonder whether God knows what he's doing because it hurts an awful lot. I have to admit, my pride was hurt a bit yesterday. (laughs) And some of the things that have happened in my life, they have hurt really painfully. But I've got to make a decision with that. Does the father know what he's doing or not? Does he know what he's doing? And the the lessons are to awaken, not to the necessity of me, but to the necessity of him. And I've got to come to the point, Lord, remove what needs to be removed from me. Remove it, Lord. And I don't know which way that will be removed. For some of us, it will be removed by sickness and death. It may be hardship. It may be the loss of material goods. It may be slander. It may be persecution. It may be the loss of loved ones. It may be broken relationships. It may be the agony over things that have happened in work or anything else. It may be war. All these things are talked about in the Bible. It may be a lot of things. But the object of these things is not as an obstacle. It is so that we might be more like him. We mustn't see these things as obstacles. We must see, no, this is God. This is God's sovereign plan helping me to see that there is much fruit bearing for me to come. Much fruit bearing. Hey, this is hard. Yes, okay, Lord. What are you teaching me through this? What are you saying to me? What do you want from me now? Where should I go with this? What's my attitude like? What's my heart like? What's my mind doing right now, Lord, as I'm going through this? Lord, uh, Lord, I don't feel like worshipping, but I'm going to worship you anyway. All these things. Got to press through into you with all these things going on. It's wonderful, I think, to know that the Father cares. Cares enough not to be up there, but down here with his clippers. Hey, isn't that great? Father's here, you know, clip. He's not up there. He's right by the side. Hey, that needs to go. <laughs> sure, it's trouble. But surely we have to say that, that trouble does awaken something and should awaken something in us to to grow us in him. You know, it's usually the thing, why God? I'm so angry with God right now. What? How can you be angry with a God who's saying to you, you need to learn this so that you can bear much fruit. Don't want to learn that. So I'm angry with you. 
What? You don't want to bear false fruit? And it's true. It's what we do. I've done it. You've done it. We get, we get upset with him. How dare we, really? And actually, if we never overcome this, do you know what will happen? It will come again and again and again and again. Because what will happen is the little branch will grow and God will go, hmm. And it'll grow again over here and God will go, hmm. And we will live our lives facing the same things time and time again because we've never gone back to the Lord and said, Lord, what do I need to know about me and my relationship with you in this attitude and event? That's what we do. And actually, it's easy because we always do this. What happens is the Lord comes and and he goes, hmm, and we go, it's Silas. It's, It's always him. It's always Silas. And if it's not Silas, it's the whole Indian nation. And it's interesting. When things happen to us, the first thing that we forget to do is look at us. And that's the first thing that we should do in all sorts of circumstances. The first thing that God wants us to do is examine ourselves. In fact, don't, well, they've been bitter with me. Okay, Lord, what are you teaching me about this? Hey, they said, what do I need to learn? Hey, they did, what should I think about this? Hey, they, you can't believe, they, they, they. And we say, okay, Lord, me. And the fruit begins to grow. And we become more like Jesus. And suddenly, we, we can find that we can enter into the presence of God and enjoy him a bit more. And we feel his blessing and, and his approval upon our lives. Why? Because we've taken those things and we've said, okay, Okay, I'm going to take that. This is hard, but it's, it's about me. Pruning is about me. It's not about what Silas said. It's about me. So you think, hey, but this happened. They were real ratbags. Yep, they were. Now, what about you? And that is always it. It is. It's true. We had this thing, and I'll just leave my... I'm going to finish with something. But we had this thing. We had a, a week in our lives... Where we had, okay, let me get this right. We had uh, my, let me get this right. My mother died. My father was diagnosed as, as having leukemia. On I, on the return back from, uh, coming back from the funeral, uh, I dropped Callie and Rachel off at home. I went to work to sign some letters. By the time I'd got to work, Callie rung me and said to me this. She said, you need to come home. Rachel has fallen down the stairs and broken her leg. So I then say to them, I'll sign the letters. I come back home. We get Rachel plastered up in this leg. And we take the teenagers away to a version of New Day camp. We get to the camp and there's never been a hurricane in the UK before and since. A hurricane sweeps through Swanage. A hurricane in Swanage! Come on! You know, hurricane in It sweeps through. It is literally t- true. Our tents got pulled out of the ground and went into the air. We lost our tents. We didn't see some of them ever again. Some of them had got those huge, great wooden poles. We went in. And I had to come back to God and say, Lord, what are you teaching me? And I'll tell you what, it was really tough. But what I learned out of this 
is this. <laughs> I just learned that, that God is still wonderful despite these things. Such a frail world. And I learned, really, even through that, no, I'm going to worship you despite these things. The pruning knife hurts, doesn't it? I want to read this passage and then finish with this, because I've digressed. But I hope you've got it. A bit serious, isn't it? But I hope you've got it. It says this in Hebrews 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. You have to endure. Because God is treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Then verse 10. For they disciplined us for a short while as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. The product is that we share in his holiness. We become more like him. So, the pruning knife. What's the purpose? The vine dresser uses a knife. I know I'm stretching this. What is the father's knife? Have you ever thought about that? What should we do when these things happen? Verse 3. You are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. It's the word of God. The purpose of pain, the purpose of difficulty, is that so that we might find the word of God. Let me give you what happens when things go wrong. The Bible gets put on the shelf. That's the automatic reaction. The automatic, things go wrong, the Bible gets put on the shelf. Things go wrong, church gets put on the shelf. Things go wrong, praying gets put Things go wrong on the shelf. Here's what happens. The idea of that is that we might go back to the word of God and say, Lord, What are you saying to me here? What do I need to learn about this? And it is really interesting, isn't it, that when you do that, I don't know how many of you have gone through huge circumstances and just opened your Bible and thought, I don't understand this. What on earth is going on? You open your Bible and and suddenly the Lord speaks. And you go, "I I can see what's going on here. It's one of the purposes of the Word of God. The purpose of the Word of God is exactly that. So it's like a prophetic edge that comes through. The Lord speaking to me right now. Let me encourage you, when it's difficult, the very thing that you should be going to is the Word of God. It will explain everything to you. And set it in context. Let me read what Spurgeon said. And I'll finish with this and we won't sing a song because I don't know which one to sing and it would just go on a bit. So I'm just going to pray. But I want to pray for pruning, you see. Is that right, Phil? Spurgeon said this. It is the word that prunes the Christian. It is the truth that purges him. The scripture made living and powerful by the Holy Spirit cleanses the Christian. Affliction is the handle of the knife. Affliction is the grindstone that sharpens the word. Affliction is the dresser that removes our soft garments and lays bare uh, the diseased flesh so that the surgeon's knife may get to it. Affliction merely makes us ready for the surgery of the word of God. But the true pruner is the word in the hand of the great vine dresser. So I want to encourage you, please, when it's tough, 
So God, open the word.